we're talking about Christ at work. And that statement, uh, work, could be a noun or it could be a verb because Christ is working. He is at work everywhere. But he's also at your workplace. Now, uh, the question today is, where's the church on Tuesday? Now, I could have picked Thursday. I could have picked Monday. But Tuesday seemed like a day that doesn't get picked on very much. So uh, we picked Tuesday. And what, what do I mean by that? Uh, well, how many of you, and, and we'll do this just to get a feel for this, how many of you are actually at the church office, 85 Braddock Way, the only official church address we have on Tuesday morning? Let's see your hands. Okay, one, two, three, four, five. A few kids in my house, uh, some volunteers. All right, okay. Maybe 10 people, okay. Uh, let's, let's see. Um, so it's just the staff, just the staff. They're there on Tuesday at a church office. Uh, how many of you are students and teachers, and you're on a school campus on Tuesday? Let's see some hands. Okay, there's a few more there. Maybe, uh, maybe we're looking at maybe 20 people here in this smaller gathering here on Sunday morning. All right. Uh, now, how many of you work at your home, either as a parent or in, in a home business? Raise your hand or, or work from home. All right. There's another maybe 20 people raising their hands there. All right. Now, uh, how many of you leave your home to go to the workplace on Tuesday? Raise your hand. And there we have the majority of the people in this room. You see, you are the church. And on Tuesday, the majority of the church is in the workplace. Billy Graham, Henry Blackaby, Bruce Wilkinson, Tim Keller, and many other well-known evangelists and pastors who have studied revivals and the movement of God think and believe that the next move of God will not be through a religious institution, but it's going to be through the workplace. It's the one place during the week where the church and the world encounter each other, encounter each other every day. Now, why has this been so long in coming? Why has this been so long in coming? It's mainly because we've been sold on the idea that faith and work have to be separated. But I'm here to tell you today that work and faith can and do integrate. And whether you are the chairman of the board or you're just dusting the chair, and whether you are the designer of the fashion line or you're just working on the assembly line, you have a place to stand from which you can influence others in the name of Jesus Christ. Some years back, there was an uh, international conference in Amsterdam that was centered around this idea, Christ at Work. And 10,000 people attended this conference from all over the world. And there was a young man from Kenya named Simon who was able to receive a scholarship and get there. And he was very desperate to go to this conference because he had a, a desperate question to ask of some of the leaders there. You see, Simon was a second-generation Christian, and he was a pastor of a small congregation. And this small congregation was really struggling. And Simon was barely able to care for his family. And after talking with his wife, he knew that he had to quit and find work outside the ministry to be able to support and care for his family. But Simon's father, who was a first-generation Christian and was also a pastor, had told him that if he quit the ministry, there would be a curse upon his family. And so Simon was in this dilemma. 
He didn't know what to do. But while he was at this conference, Simon found one man among those 10,000 and among the 90 counselors, who the majority were professional clergy or pastors, there were seven businessmen. And out of one out of those seven and one out of the 10,000 people there, Simon found this businessman who was a Christ follower and he asked him this question and told him his story. And the businessman opened up Hebrews chapter 11. And he, he asked Simon, Simon, I want you to look at the names in this list in Hebrews chapter 11. These are, these are people that are, are mentioned in the hall of faith. These are people that are known for their faith in God and what they did in following God. And he said, look, look at this chapter and look at the names of these people and tell me who were professional ministry people, priests or prophets, pastors. And looking down this list of famous names, there was Abel, he was a shepherd. Noah, he was a farmer. Abraham was a nomadic rancher. Joseph was a government official. Uh, government official. Moses was a politician. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was a military leader. Samson was a judge. David was a king. And then he came to Samuel, the only professional ministry person listed. And Simon smiled when he saw that. He smiled when he saw that. And the businessman told Simon, Simon, you're not under a curse because Jesus Christ destroyed any curses through the cross. And whether you serve in a church or in a business, you, as a Christ follower, are in full-time ministry. You know, there are many churchgoers in America that I think are like Simon, who feel like they have shackles on their feet and blinders over their eyes, and not knowing that they're free and that they are in their mission field as God's representatives. And today, I want to make sure that this congregation understands that you are not second-class Christ followers because you don't work on the staff of a local church. I want to make sure that you are affirmed as Christ's ambassadors and his representatives here in Asheville. Now, the first thing that I want you to know is that the workplace is very important to God. In the scriptures, we're told that, that when we work, we are to work as if we are working for the Lord, not for men. He's our boss. We're working for him. It's interesting in this passage from Colossians 3 that our relationship to, toward the Lord is described in three different ways. It's first described in marriage, and then it's described in parenting, verses 20 and 21, and then it talks about slaves and masters. And we tend to maybe brush this off or ignore it because we think that doesn't apply to us. But it does apply to us because it's describing the workplace and the difference that the Lord makes in a relationship between an employee and an employer. I know you maybe don't like that employer being your master and you being the slave, but it is the parallel and what we have with today. And if you look in the letter to the Ephesian church, you see that they're told the same thing in the same identical pattern. In chapters 5 and 6, we're told here is how the Lord makes a difference in your family, and in your, first in your marriage. And then the pat pattern follows, and it says here's the difference the Lord makes in your family. And then thirdly, here's the difference the Lord makes in your merit, in, in the workplace. People used to talk about how the first institution established was marriage, and then how the second institution 
was the church. But I want to tell you, I think that's baloney. Church is not an institution. It's a living organism. Church is in your marriage. Church is in your family. Church is in your workplace. Church is the body of Christ. The Lord wants you to be active in your workplace. It is important to God. Did you know that of the 132 appearances Jesus makes in the Gospels, that 122 of them are found in some sort of workplace scenario? Did you know in that 45 of the 52 parables, the setting of the story is found in the workplace? Do you understand that for nearly 18 years, Jesus was in the workplace from around the age of 12 to 30? We don't hear much about that because it's not recorded explicitly in the scriptures. Luke 2.52 is about all we have that describes those years. That he grew, uh, that he went to Nazareth, he obeyed his parents, his mother treasured these things, and he grew in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and men. He grew in four areas. But he had to have been in the workplace. And more than likely, he was working in his stepfather's business as a carpenter. And he had to do good work. And God, you know what? God was pleased with those 18 years of life just as much as he was pleased with those three years of ministry. 18 years. Do you wonder what Jesus was doing for 18 years? We know the three years. He was in the workplace. Jesus had only three years of ministry and half that ministry was spent privately with his disciples. Your work is important to God. Second big thing, the church is the body of Christ. And as a Christ follower, you are a part of the body, of that body. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Church is not a building. In Ephesians 1 and Romans 12 and Colossians 1, you see a description of the universal, invisible church and it's being addressed Believers from here, from there, 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 and described as the church. In Acts 15, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Corinthians 11, you see the local church being addressed, and it's the church at Philippi, it's the church at Ephesus, it's the local church. At one point in the scriptures, while addressing an issue about some women in worship, the church is talked about in the sense of a meeting. But thank God, the church wasn't just a bunch of meetings. The church is compared to, to a building in Ephesians 2 and Matthew 16. But it's not a building. It's an organism. It's the body of Christ. In the Old Testament with the Old Covenant, place was very important in the worship of God. But in the New Testament with the New Covenant in Jesus, God says, I am going to dwell in the temple of you. You are the new temple. Sometimes we are messy temples. Sometimes we are holy temples. But either way, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The church is not a visible building that you can see, touch, and feel, although we would like it to be sometimes. The church is an organism of the body of believers built of relationships with Jesus Christ and relationships with each other. We are living, we are growing. The third big thing, the primary focus of a pastor of a church is to equip the saints for the work of God's mission. Sometimes we get it backwards in America. You know, pastor, hey, we've employed you and we paid you to do the work. 
But that's not what the Bible instructs. The Bible describes the pastor as an elder, an overseer, a leader who is preparing the people as missionaries to where God has put them, the workplace, the home, and to go into the world representing our master, Jesus Christ. The truth is that I'm not going to be at your beck and call, and neither is Jason or any of the other staff. We're not going to be babying you, but instead we're going to be training you to bless and minister to those around you. We're going to do whatever we can to help you in that way. God desires you to be full-time servants of Jesus Christ. Here's an example. Jason works, Jason Garris, who, who's on staff with us as a pastor, he works with the youth at Highland. And he's, he's to understand and relate to young people. Jason is to affirm that young person as a full-time missionary for Jesus Christ. Jason is to equip that young person to be a representative for Jesus in the Asheville City High School or in the the grade school or the middle school or the private school or wherever they're at. Jason is to commission them as an agent of the church as full-time missionaries of Jesus Christ. That doesn't mean that kid has to go and take two years of Greek. He doesn't have to go to seminary to be a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Fourth thing, as a believer... As a Christ follower, if the, church, if the church's responsibility, if, if a pastor's responsibility is to equip you to be a minister, a missionary, then you are. That's what you're to be. You're to be a missionary. Listen to this from the scriptures. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we've heard that part. That's exciting. That's wonderful news. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them. Okay, just describe what God's mission is, what he's doing in this world, what he's at work doing. And then listen to this. And he is committed to us, the message of reconciliation. We are are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And there you have it in just a few sentences. The mission of God and how you have been invited to be a part of it and how you have been made his representatives, his ambassadors, his missionaries. In the third century, churchgoers begin to separate spiritual things from secular things. And they said, hey, you folks over there, hey, you're just common folk, and you folk over here are are priests, you're professional, clergy, and then they started all this language of professional clergy and lay people. They started dividing things up, and the church became institutionalized. And even the Reformation didn't change that viewpoint. And it seems that every time a church grows by 100 people, they hire another staff person. And what happens is that people begin to rely on the pastor and staff for the work of the church. And because that staff is being paid, you can feel good about not doing the work of the church because you're paying someone else to do it. The pattern is wrong. The work of the leadership of the church is to train the people of the church to do the work of the mission given to us by God. The real mission doesn't happen here in a worship time or a worship gathering so much. I mean, this is kind of like a practice field, a gym, a workout place. There is some encouraging. There is some teaching that happens. 
But the mission of, his, of God and his church is not an hour and a half on Sunday. The mission of God is much broader and much bigger than that. The mission of God is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every Monday, every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every day of the week. You are in the mission field for Jesus Christ. And that means secular things we do become spiritual if they're done for the eternal and done for the Lord. And those religious and spiritual things that we do that are not for the Lord, but maybe for ourselves, or for the, and, and they're not for the love of others, well, they just become a, a colossal waste of time and they're burned up in the end. All those things will be weighed out one day, but it's you and God who knows. You know the motives, you know your heart, you know what you do and why you do them for, who you do them for. Your primary place of mission is to be where God has placed you. Now, I know that maybe most of us didn't plan to be where we are today. God arranged it, if we admit that. And you might say, well, Shannon, hey, I am the only Christ follower in my workplace. And I just want to say, praise God. Praise God. You are his ambassador in that workplace. And if you're abiding in him, if you're acknowledging him in all you do, you won't be alone in that place for long. Kent Humphreys is a successful businessman who also leads an international organization that's called Fellowship of Companies for Christ. And he tells of one afternoon uh, leaving work early. And the reason that he was leaving work early was because he was going to meet at the church building where he went to church and and it was for some evangelizing purposes and he was going to go door to door with some other people in a neighborhood near the church. And as he was driving to the church building, he sensed the Spirit of God asking him this question. Kent, where are you going? Well, Lord, I'm going to church and I've left work early to please you. And Kent says that the Lord whispered to him, Well, Kent, I'm glad you left work early. But why didn't you turn around to the guy at the next desk who you know has a son who has a drug problem and he desperately needs your help? He just needs some advice, needs some love. And Kent says that at that moment, it was a life-changing moment for him because he realized that his primary responsibility in his mission as a Christ follower was to his wife. His secondary responsibility was to his family. And third was where God had placed him, the workplace. And Kent shares that story with other people. And sometimes they ask him, well, where's the church in that priority list? And Kent says, the church is in all of it. I am the church. And my pastors have equipped me to minister where God has placed me. Nate, you can come on up. We're going to wrap things up here. It's just a very simple message today. And there's two things I'd like you to consider. As you kind of digest what's been said here today and as you consider what's going to be said in the next couple of Sundays. One, as your pastor, I'm, I'm asking you this question. And I'd like you to think about how you could answer this question to me or to Jason, to others on staff. My question is this, how can I help you fulfill your mission in the place God has placed you? I want to be able to help you in that. 
When I was uh, up in Buffalo working with adults and adult leadership and discipleship training, uh, I'd get together with folks every once in a while. There was a doctor uh, who was, happened to be my family physician. Uh, we got together one time. He said, Shannon, I just want you to come and I want you to just brainstorm with me. Think about how I could do things in a different way here in my practice where I could, I, I know this is my mission field, but what can I do? And so I, I just showed up one day and, and I, I made an appointment and I went through the process and I just thought about the things that he does and the preparations and the conversations that he has with people. And we went to lunch later and just talked about that and some of the opportunities he has with people in his conversations. So that's the, that's the first thing I'd like you to think about over the next few weeks. How can this church, our leadership, help you fulfill your mission in the place God has placed you? Second thing is sometimes we see our workplace as kind of this kind of equation. We see us, you see yourself, you see your coworkers or employees, your boss, and then you see your client or your customer. You add those things together and you get your product or your service and, and you get profit. And, and maybe, maybe you don't feel like you contribute that much to the overall success, but, but so maybe you could just put a paycheck. I just get a paycheck for what I do. And, and even if that's the case, I'd, I'd like you to see this equation a little differently. I, I'd like you to see it like this. What would happen if you added something to both sides of the equation? What if you added the fact that Jesus is with you at work, at that workplace, and the awareness of his spirit with you? And that if you add it on the other side, the result being not just profit, not just a paycheck, but that actually people are cared for and loved. What might happen? What could change? And I'd like you just to weigh that out and begin asking the Lord, Lord, this is my mission field. Show me how I can get some different results where you're active and involved and I'm cooperating with what you're doing of people being loved and cared for in your name. Lord, I know that you are at work you're there and you're working all around us. Lord, I pray that you make us aware of what you're doing and show us how we can cooperate with you. Lord, I pray you just strengthen this group of believers. Strengthen them in what you've asked them to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.